This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Alright, come on in. Table's all set up. Sure. Well, thanks for hosting this week. Hey, Phil, you're already here. Yeah, yeah, of course I am. Uh, Bob's hosting, but uh, as GM, I wanted to make sure I was set up and ready to go. That makes sense. Anyway, I got a seat for you over there, and you can sit your drinks on the side table. Ooh, so organized. Yeah, well, if we're going to start a new game, it's uh, it's better if everything's like in place, ready to go before we start. So with that, welcome to the 462nd episode of the Mr. Ector Mark podcast. Tonight, we're going to discuss how to set up your gaming area for your tabletop role-playing games. Along the way, we're going to take your comments, examples, and suggestions live from the chat room for life on Twitch before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Welcome back to the show. We're glad to be here. We hope you're glad to be here. Let's run into our temperature check and see how everybody's feeling. Phil, how you feel? I am feeling pretty good. Mentally, I am actually feeling, I think, better than good. Um, we'll talk about it later in the show. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely feeling better mentally, uh, physically I'm doing fine. Um, uh, my only complaint, if I have one right now is, uh, it's, uh, jeans week, meaning I have to go into the office. So, um, hard pants. yeah, I'm wearing hard pants and, uh, not, and not loving, not loving commuting, um, parking, walking through snowbanks and stuff, getting into the office. Those are minor complaints though. Otherwise I'm doing fine. Jerry, how about you? I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. I, uh, I'm, I'm healthy. I got plenty of sleep this weekend. Um, so, and uh, mentally, I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, just kind of things are moving along and going in a good direction. So, how about you, Bob? Uh, I'm going to make it a trifecta. I am really feeling very, very good physically and mentally right now. Um, it's it's interesting the way that that shook out, um, and we can kind of maybe dig into that a little deeper down the, down in deeper in the show, and the, maybe in the after show or in the one thing or the, the the conversation corner maybe just a little bit, but but yeah, feeling good. So let's let's dive into this thing because this feels like it's going to be a good show. I'm looking yep. forward to it. But Phil's sounds got good. We announcements. We've we've got just one announcement um, for uh, tonight, and we'll make this announcement again in a few weeks. But I like to just put these up as a heads up when we know them. Uh, so no shows on the 22nd for the next two months. So we will not be recording live on the 22nd of this month of February, as this is the beginning of February. So February 22nd, no live show, which means that on February 28th, when you normally pick up the show, there'll be no show. Is it the 20th or is it the first? Does it, do we drop on Tuesdays? It's Tuesday, so oh, sorry. Then there would then there'll be no March first show. In addition, there'll also be no show on the twenty second of March, which means there'll be no uh, episode on the 29th. So we're basically doing like three weeks for March um, and for February. We just have some stuff on the calendar yeah. that um, it, we are just not going to record during, uh, which is fine. We don't have to record all the time, but yeah, just wanted to. I'll throw those out there, and then I'll remind people the week before of you know that there'll be a show missing kind of thing so in either case that's our announcements for now and uh bob where do we go from here 
Uh, this is what we love to call a workshop. Here you go, Phil. Boom. Workshop, workshop. We're setting up for a new game. We're trying to get everything organized. We're going to put our stuff in place. We bring everything. What do we bring? Do we leave stuff at home? Where do our dice go? Hey, where is my water bottle? We're going to find out here in the workshop. Don't suck. All right. So a few weeks ago, we talked about session one, which is the first session of your campaign. And tonight, we're going to kind of take that a little further. We're going to talk about something that occurs around session zero and finishes sometimes after session one, which is setting up for the game. As we had our first ever Cortex Prime game and our first ever session one for our new Ox game, this topic was foremost in our mind. So we're going to talk about how GMs and players, mostly GMs, but a lot of players, set up everything for a new game they're running kind of before they sit down at the table. All right. And in order to do that, we're going to start by having Phil frame out what we mean by set up, along with a few other things in our favorite segment. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Well, well, well. Okay. A couple quick definitions. Let's just blast through them. Set up. We're going to be using this phrase a lot for the rest of the night. Set up is our uh, overly generic term. That refers to setting up your physical and digital components for the game you are running, how you are going to organize them, and kind of spatially, where are you going to arrange them? Uh, We're going to talk about this in a lot of detail tonight, but for helping to define things, we're talking about things like where does your rule book go, your dice, your maps, your minis, your cards, all that stuff. Uh, Mise en place is a French culinary phrase, which means putting in place or gather. Pardon, like... Forgive my French. It's pretty weak, actually. I'm terrible at French, (laughs) despite three years of high school French. Anyway, mise en place um, refers to the setup required before cooking and is often used in professional kitchens to refer to organizing and arranging ingredients that the cook will use throughout like their shift. I don't know if you guys do that when you cook. I am very much a mise en place guy who will put all my stuff in little bowls and arrange them on the counter so that I can just grab them and like grab them and go as I'm cooking. I've actually written about this a while ago. I discovered this term years ago and uh, wrote an article on Gnome Stew about it. Wrote an article about it. Want to hear it? Here it goes. Um, wrote an article on Gnome Stew. We'll throw a link in the show notes about that. But in terms of RPGs, uh, mise en place refers to how you arrange your physical and or your digital space when you are running the game. That is like, where did you put your stuff? If you're the GM, like where is all your stuff, you know, your your notes, your dice, all those things. If you're a player, it refers to the same things. To be set up, not to be confused with prep, right? Prep, very specific thing. Talking about the notes you take in order to be comfortable enough to run your game. We have done a whole bunch of shows on prep. We will likely do future shows about prep. Uh, but just know that that is separate from what, we are, what we're talking about tonight when we talk about setup. Uh, and then lastly, dead air is a radio term. I use it all the time. Unintended interruption of a video or audio signal during a television or radio broadcast. In RPG terms, this is like when the narrative or mechanics of the game come to a halt because you're looking for something. When we talk about latency and when we talk about um, system mastery, that dead air can come from uh, the fact that you're stopping to look up rules. Uh, But dead air can also come from the fact that like you're about to do the set piece battle and realize that you don't remember where you put the orcs, the orc minis, right? Are they in your bag? Are they like, you know, on a adjacent table, whatever. And so everything comes to a halt as you're kind of rummaging around. 
dead air is a problem because it interferes with flow of the story flow of the game and you know it winds up jarring people who then like drop out of the game mentally and start like fidgeting with stuff so we try to avoid dead air whenever possible all right so with the term set jerry let me toss you this obvious question why do we care about setting up for a new game well we care because there are a couple things that come into play the first is going to be comfort when you're playing the game the second is avoiding dead air and the third is going to be confidence at the table uh, when we figured out that what we need for the game and how to arrange it, that is something that we don't have to think about once we're running the game. So if everything's there in place, we can just do it. The more concerns we get off our mind before we start, the more mental space we're going to have for the game itself. This is why we always say you need to prep as much as you need in order to be comfortable at the table. The same holds true for setting up the space and materials for your RPG. If the game requires certain things as index cards, different kinds of dice, uh, and maybe books, having things thought out and arranged at the table so to keep us from fumbling around for them and allow us to be comfortable when we run. Yeah. Um, like our example in the definition, right? Dead air can interrupt a game that's flowing when you realize that something you need for the game is not readily uh, like at hand. If you're lucky, like maybe it's in your bag or like you're playing at your house. So it's like in another room. But if you're running your game somewhere else, like you're running your game at somebody else's house or you're running at a convention, um, it could possibly mean you didn't bring it. And that pause in the game, right, where like the GM stops and is like, oh, man, where did I put that? Right. And like starts digging around. It's going to jar everything. Right. It's just, it's just going to disrupt the flow. And that's when like as soon as the flow gets disrupted and we, you know, when we talk about levels and stuff like this, that's when your brain jumps levels. Right. So all yeah. of a sudden you go from like mm -hmm. character and story level. Like now that everything's gotten quiet, you're like, oh, uh, I'm hungry. Or where are those chips? Or let me check my notifications on my phone or whatever. And then whoosh, like we've disrupted all of that, right? So we're trying, we're always trying when we're running a game, we're always trying to reduce dead air. It's okay to take a break, right? That's a planned disruption yep. in flow. But dead air is that kind of thing that just like jars it when it happens, like right in the middle of like the narrative. All right. And third thing we're going to talk about is confidence. Let's face it, not everybody who's sitting behind the GM screen is confident. Um, all of us at different times, we're nervous about the game we've run. And sometimes this happens when you're an experienced GM running a new game for the first time. So either way, you don't need to have confidence to run a good game. It's still helpful. And one of the things that can help with that is having your game table and game materials organized so that everything needs at hand when you're running the game. And first, this is going to give the appearance that you have your shit together. And second, you're going to have that lack of dead air. It's going to give people the impression that you're confident. This is going to feed back to the way that people at the table act and make you feel more comfortable and make them feel more comfortable and you'll feel more confident. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cause we're all about GMs being comfortable and confident when they run games. I mean, that's, that's, that's universal throughout our, uh, throughout our shows. That's what we want for everybody. But Phil, what kind of things do we need to think about when we're setting up this new space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as we are ought to do here on the show, we have a list of things you should think about as you set up your game. As always, our standard list disclaimer, which I'm almost ready to start recording, right? Our standard list disclaimer, um, the, this list is not comprehensive. It is not in any particular order. And uh, there may be stuff on here that applies to you. And there may be things that we totally omitted uh, by accident that we should have put on here. So take this list with a grain of salt. We think it hits most of the high points. All right. So we're going to start with the materials required for the game. I'm going to make sure you have those set up. first. What does it need in order to run it? Do you need maps? Do you need minis? 
Uh, do you need physical or virtual tabletops? Um, if you're playing a game like Fate, do you need tokens, index cards, Fate dice? Uh, do you need handouts for things like the four moves? If it's PBTA, do you need uh, character sheets? That sort of thing. Exactly. Uh, the next thing is going to be supplemental mater- materials that you want for the game, right? Not required for the game, but things that you want for the game. So aside from the materials that the game demands for play, there may be other things in your GM toolbox that you want to make sure that you have uh, when you're at the table, right? So this may be um, this may be like some generic GMing tools. For instance, uh, that book by... Um, Engine Publishing, Masks, the one with all the NPCs in it, you might want that book near you. It could be a PDF with random tables, right? Like maybe you like to use a lot of random tables in your games. Could also be um, decks of cards, other kind of things like that. We'll talk about some of our favorites when we um, when we get to the other uh, half of this segment. But it's those kinds of things. Next thing you're going to want to have available are your rule books and your splat books and source books. You want to figure out, first of all, what books you need when you're running the game, and make sure you include the things like splat books and setting books. Maybe you need a GM screen, whether you leave it standing up or just lay it down so the tables are in front of you. Your game just might be one book, or it might have tons and tons of books. And so you need to decide ahead of time which ones you need, which ones are more for research between sessions, and which ones you need to have on hand while you're running itself. Agreed. Uh, Your session notes are a thing that you need to think about in terms of your setup. Um, You will need your session notes. Now, depending on how you run your game, this could be a notebook. um, It could be a binder, a journal. um, It could be digital. It could be a tablet. It could be a post-it note. Like Whatever it is, your notes are part of the setup as a GM. Next, you're going to need your campaign notes. These are going to be similar to your session notes, but you're going to be able to access your campaign notes themselves. Um, these might be in a, the same book, or they might be in a file. They could be separate. You might have them um, in a document on your on your uh, electronic devices. But you're going to want to have your campaign notes available in case something comes up that you have to refer back to. Exactly. You want to maintain that continuity. Yep. Uh, next thing, your GMing space. Going back to mise en place, how are you going to set up all these materials that we just talked about above? How are you going to set them up at your spot at the table? Where are you playing? Like, you know, are we playing at a, are we playing at a table? Are we playing, you know, in a circle of um, chairs and couches in a living room, right? That's how Bob and I used to play in a living room. We almost, we almost never played at a table until third edition. Yep. Are you going to use a GM screen? And, and, and some of this will be important in terms of a line of sight. Like, is your, like, is the seating even level? Like, is, the, are you too low in the GM screen where you can't see everybody? That kind of thing. Um, is the GM screen just blocking you from interacting with everyone? Um, are there materials that are shared by the group? Like where the where are those going to go on the table, right? If there's a common pool of tokens or maybe you're all using the same dice, like where are those going to go? Are there materials you need to keep hidden or out of eye shot from the group? Like, for instance, if you do use a lot of minis, do you want to kind of like stash your minis off somewhere where people can't see them so that people aren't like, holy shit, there's a purple worm in that box. He's going to hit us with a purple worm tonight, yeah. right? Like you might want to just have those tucked away where people can't see them. Where where are the things like Jerry talked about? Where's your notes, your splat books, your rule books? Where are those going to be in relation to where you're sitting? Where's your dice going to be? Where are you rolling your dice? Like, do you have enough room with all the other stuff on the table to roll your dice? Do you have a dice rolling tray or a, what are those, the dice tower thingies? Mm-hmm. Like, are you using one of those? Where, where's that going to fit? 
And then lastly, and I, and I don't mean this like in a trivial way, where's your beverage? I usually go through a decent amount of water when I GM because I'm talking all the time. I need my water like near me. Is it going to be on the floor? Am I going to like have to reach down and get my water bottle? Is it going to be on the table? Is it going to be on the table next to me? I have a huge pet peeve. You guys know this. I don't like, um, I generally don't like beverages on the actual table surface where we're playing. It's somewhat for a role-playing game, always for board games, right? I like side tables. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, how's that going to go? Like, how does that all work? That's your GMing space. That's your mise en place for your GMing space. The next is how are you going to store your materials when they're at home? For this game, how are you going to store your materials when they're not being used at the table? Uh, where are you going to put things like minis, maps? How are you going to organize them? How are you going to make them accessible? Do you just have a few things that you use all the time? Do you have an excessive amount of props and so on that um, get used on a regular basis? That you had um, to build a like you built a whole finished basement in your house with like wall to wall bookshelves, filing I, cabinets. I, I have I have a four drawer file cabinet that is nothing but mini scale maps, right? Organized by type. So yeah, you have to just because you need to be able to find that stuff. Exactly. So next, Phil. Yeah, how are you going to transport your materials? Um, if you're not playing at your place, how are you going to get all the stuff that we, all the stuff that you just like listed in your head for your game? How do you get that to where you're playing? And on top of that, do you need to worry about things like weather, using mass transit, et cetera? Like if you're, if you're going to your friend's place in your car, how you transport your materials and how much stuff you transport is very different than if you are taking like two trains across town. And you need to carry this stuff, right? You're not going to be wheeling your, you know, your mini box behind you or whatever. So, and again, if you're taking mass transit, like maybe you're outside, like what if it rains? What if it snows, right? Like $300 worth of role-playing books in your backpack. You don't want like, you know, some cheap backpack that's going to soak through kind of thing. Like these are considerations you need to take into account. Review your existing GM gear. If you're like us, you're going to have a lot of tools, cards, lists, books. Go mm-hmm. through them and see there are tools you've not used in a while that might be a good fit for the game. Go through and see there are, there are things you can take out. If you're doing virtual tabletop and you're playing on something like Roll20, what kinds of digital assets are you going to need for your game? Are you going to need things like uh, digital assets, little digital minis, maps, tokens, all that sort of thing? And basically make sure you're all prepped for that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might mean that you have to make some of that stuff yourself. That might mean that you just have to go to like the Roll20 store and buy a package, right? Like fate, like I, like evil hat's been doing a really good job of like packaging assets for all of their, like all of their games. But you know, if you're playing something that doesn't have roll 20, like actual roll 20 uh, support built in, uh, how are you putting that together? Uh, I I'm a patron of a couple of paper mini uh, guys. And some of them have virtual tokens available now. And some of them I've just sat one night while watching movies and just, cut and pasted them into paint and made little tokens myself for whatever I needed. You can do that sort of thing. It doesn't take that long. Exactly. All right. Okay. Okay. The last thing I was going to say is just plan ahead for timed breaks. Make sure you've got that planned in so you know where everybody's going to be. Make sure you've got some space available. That's part of your timing and getting set up. It's also part of avoiding that dead air. If you know you're going to have uh, to set up a map for something, plan a break so everybody can get up and go hit the bathroom, get their food while you're setting up that map. And that'll help to 
keep yourself organized. You can have the stuff that you're going to need to take out and set up. You don't need it on the table in front of you immediately. You can just have it sitting next to you. So just something to plan ahead of time, have that time ahead of time. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So with that whole list of things above for things to consider, and it's not a trivial list of things to consider. Here's another list again, standard list. Um, <laughs> here, standard list uh, warning. Um, here's another list of things that um, tips and stuff for helping you get set up with some of the things that we mentioned above. First, review the rule book. The rule book's going to almost always tell you what you need to play the game. So take that to the heart for the first few sessions. Um, if it says it, that they you know, expect you to have dice and pens and pencils and some minis, even if you plan to play theater of their mind, start by having a couple of those available. You might find out that once in a while you need those minis. Later on, as you play the game, you might decide that you don't need to have all those tools, or you might decide you need more tools. But start by looking at what the rulebook tells you to play the game. Exactly. Um, the next one, in terms of also kind of understanding what you need for the game, review some published adventures. Maybe you don't want to run published adventures for the game that you're running. That's fine. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with running published adventures. But when you read a published adventure, you will see how the designers think the game is going to be played. So it's a great place to kind of understand what other materials might be required. Or if it's not other materials, how they make use of the materials that they tell you that you need. It's also a great place to figure out how the authors organize their prep. Now, you're, you'll have your own prep style, and we're not going to get into talking about that tonight. But I often will look at a published adventure for a game to kind of see like, oh, I see. This is how they arrange the information so that the person running it sees things. Like, for instance, in Knights Black Agents, the formatting for the core clue right? Because the core clue is always a thing you have to give. So how is it handled in the published material gives me an idea of how I should put it in my own prep. And then again, if you are, you know, again, no, no knocking on published adventures. If you don't want to run it as is, uh, dismantle it, right? Reskin it, use it as side encounters, whatever. Like you can still, you can, can't, you can just, you can take them apart and find uses for them. So, but published adventures will also help you understand how the game is intended to be played. Next, review your existing GM gear. As I said, if you're like us, you're going to have a lot of tools, cards, lists, books, tokens. Go through them when you start a new game and see if there's tools you've not used in a while that might be a good fit for this game and maybe take some out or swap them out for things that work better. Mm -hmm. Do a test run of your mise en place before the game starts. Like, you can just sit down at the table and put your stuff out and just see what it looks like. I, I, I have, like, in almost all the games I run, there are certain things I put in certain places no matter what game I run. And then I kind of am flexible with other things. So there are just some things that I always know where they are uh, because I always arrange them the same way when I play a game. And this will also tell you, do you actually have enough space at the table for all your stuff or do you need a side table? Um, I'm a huge fan of a side table here at my place. When I run, I have what I call the GM caddy, which is a little rolling plastic um, filing cabinet. It's like two drawers and a file drawer. Uh, and that is my overflow for um, stuff that I might need during the game. It is also part of where I store the game after the game, right? The cart just goes back into its spot in my office and, uh, you know, stuff goes in it for the rest of the week. Back when I used to run games here at the house i would sometimes set the the table up because it's in the basement so it only gets used by me for that 
I'd sometimes set the table up a day or two ahead of time, get everything prepped up, make sure there was room available, set up, you know, I don't mind cups on the table as long as they're small. So I'd set up cups for everybody. So I kind of knew where they were going to sit, kind of arrange things that the players kind of have a visual clue of where they should be sitting when they come in. So they don't overflow onto places I need in the game. I might need more room this time or something like that. Yeah. That also works really well. And then I would have all the cards and everything stacked up ahead of time. It helps a lot. Yeah, I for for the games that were more intensive, like when I ran Savage Worlds and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I would, when my kids were either too small to go to the basement by themselves or when they were big enough to know better than to touch my stuff on the table, <laughs> um, I would like I would arrange that stuff like early in the afternoon for my six o'clock game. Like I would just get it all out and in place and then I could go do like go take a shower or whatever. And then when everybody got here, like I would like, OK, everything's ready. Years ago when I ran real quick, when I ran Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay at the hobby shop in Syracuse. Um, I came at lunchtime the day of I was running the game that night and had them set aside the table for me and took my lunch break to take all of the wargaming terrain and build the entire battle map for that week's adventure. So when the players came in, I had them get up and walk over to another table where the city and the tower were already set up. Nice. Which was fun. Uh, It took a little prep time, but it was fun. And it it had a visual effect when everybody suddenly turned around and realized that this table they've been staring at for a while was going to be where they're going to have their three-hour battle because it was Warhammer. (laughs) So lastly, test pack your bag. If you're going to be going someplace, try packing out your bag before game day. Make sure everything fits in. Make sure it's not too heavy. If you have to wear it for a while, make sure it's not going to be a strain on you. Make sure everything fits into it. And make sure that you can actually move it. Make sure it doesn't get crushed or damaged. Um, yep. I've seen people put, you know, boxes of minis in with soft cover books, and they get there. One of the soft cover books has been bent out of shape because they didn't, you know, prep it properly. So I've seen uh, things. I've seen things yeah. like blow the stitching on a um, shoulder strap because the mm-hmm. bag's too heavy, and when you go to swing it on with one shoulder, um, yep. it popped like it popped a few stitches. So you definitely want to make sure that that's all packed out. Like a, with a good test run. I used to run at the hobby shop here in Buffalo when I was a child and I had to ride my bike five miles to get to the game store. I bought some waterproof zip up bags and I would pack everything onto my bicycle. I had a little rack on the back of my bike and I'd be riding with basically the equivalent of two duffel bags and a backpack on because it might rain on the way to the store. And I had to make sure that everything was stayed, stayed, you know, covered. So when I was in high school, I was a huge fan of those file boxes you know those plastic file boxes mm-hmm. right so they're them. great and i liked them and they were great for rule books and things like that the problem is that the handle and this was the one i had in high school especially the handle was designed when the box was full of like papers and and folders not when it was full of rule books and splat books yep and i went to pull it out of the trunk one day and just came, like i just pulled and I had the handle in my hand and the box was still sitting there and the trunk totally broke the handle off the thing. And so then I had to like, you know, just kind of scoop. Whoa, your mic just cut out. I just lost Phil. I just lost Phil. All right. Let me move on to the next segment here while Phil figures out what's going on here. Anyway. So all of that sounds like a lot, even though we all do it in some way, whether it's deliberate or not. But what about improvement of your setup? All right. So while Phil catches up, we'll talk about how to make adjustments after you started playing, the first thing about a new game is that you really won't know what you need until you test run it. Some of these things are going to fix right away. You're going to start playing. Oh, I need to move this over here. 
um, maybe my dice are in the wrong spot, or this is going to be in the way, that's fine. If we tie into our four-session guideline, which is we always give a game four sessions before we decide if it's something we want to go on for a campaign or not, consider that after the fourth session, you want to do a quick inventory of what you have and decide if you really need everything that you've got initially picked out. You might want to pare down the things that don't get used, or maybe grab things that you didn't include that you find yourself wanting after you've run it for four sessions. Yeah, that, that's, that's definitely going to be important. Mm-hmm. Last thing, whether or not we have feedback, I'll roll through with this if we have to. Uh, can we talk for a few minutes about player prep for a new game? So often players don't have as much to set up for a new game, but depending on what game it is, there can still be a significant amount of stuff. If you're playing PBTA, for example, you might only have a bunch of D6s, something to write on, um, you know, a pen to write with, and your playbook. But if you're playing 4th edition D&D, you've got dice, you've probably got, uh, you know, your character cards, you got your sheets, you know, a little bit more. And that's going to vary from game to game. So you're going to go through a mini version of what we said above about figuring out what materials, books, and such that you're going to need. One consideration is going to be, how are you going to take session notes? Are you going to have a shared Google Doc that everybody types into? Are you going to take notes on index cards? You know, how are you going to do that? How are you going to transport all of those game materials to each session? Uh, And then lastly, consider how much space you're going to take up at the game. Can you condense your needed material down to a smaller footprint? How many dice do you really need? Or at least, can you condense them? For me, I know every everything is pretty much in my all rolled up. And depending on the game that we're playing, I'll crack that open. I'll get out the dice that I need, put those in my rolling tray, close the whole all rolled up back up, and put it back in my bag. So I don't have that taking up space. That's something I think a lot of players need to consider. I've, I've been to games and I've, I've run games and I've played in games where players come and they bring a lot of excess stuff to the table that doesn't need to be part of the game that week. They're going to bring, you know, the new game they just bought or extra minis or, you know, they're playing a character that needs three sets of dice, but they decide they want a different set of colored dice for every spell that they cast. So they're going to have, you know, have that stuff, but have it set aside. If your player prepping for a table a game and you know you're going to need more stuff, Maybe ask the GM or bring a side table for yourself to set up so that you're not taking up that space at the table. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the shared Google Doc that everybody types into because some people take more notes than others, and it helps for everybody to have a good record. And these days with tablets and small laptops and even uh, cell phones, it's easy for people to be able to have lots and lots of notes without uh, taking up a lot of space at the table. Um, so yep. right now, Phil is still uh, monkeying with his mic, so we're going to roll on for a few minutes. So for now, that's our overview about setting up the game. So to fill some time, we're going to take a quick break and check in with the chat room. But first, Bob is going to tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. This week, we're going to talk about Pandas Talking Games. And this particular blurb may or may not get updated sometime in the not-too-distant future, but Pandas Talking Games is a wonderful little show where Phil and Senda answer your questions about RPGs, usually from different perspectives, but uh, it, it kind of depends. The, the show's been evolving. But you're always going to get panda silliness, because that's the way that works. And, according to the rumors, if you listen to this show, you will love it. So, very important note, Pandas Talking Games, check it out, Phil and Senda. Boom. So, chat room, how's it going? <laughs> Uh, We've got. We got uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, Chromatic Chameleons with us again tonight, um, and they uh, tend to 
butcher um, uh, published materials. Um, and I'm gathering that means uh, hacking it up for, for their own purposes. That is something that um, I don't think enough people look at that. Like Phil said, when you look at published materials, they put those games together, those adventures, because that's the way they think the game should go. Generally, if you check if you check out those 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 modules, publish adventures, whatever, they will give you an idea uh, of how this game runs and and what the what the the intent was by the people that designed it. So definitely check them out if if nothing else, just to review. You know, find one, check it out. Especially if there's a sample adventure, the sample adventure is is always gold because you can take that and you can figure out how things are going to run. And then you know. If you if you cherry pick things here and there, they're a good resource for for bits and pieces that you can take and, and put together. Um, as we mentioned, you can you can reskin a, a a piece from a published adventure and use it for a a side piece for your own stuff like that. I do that all the time. I'll I'll cut maps up. I will. There are some adventures out there where the main adventure it's only so so, but this one encounter is really good, or this one role-playing hook is good or maybe there's a mystery yeah. that we like uh before i go further do we have phil so i am back so phil's back everybody's yeah. uh yeah my mic just uh my mic just flaked out completely um so i've uh i saved my audacity file and started a new one so my apologies to rob if he has to edit these from audacity and i was trying not to drop out of zoom so that i didn't uh screw up the window arrangement so yeah, I managed I to, easily, so. I, I managed, I managed to get it all back. Hopefully hey, it stays. <laughs> all right. I'm glad you're back. Yeah. Uh, another suggestion, uh, the crafty DM mentioned that they like dry erase three by five cards. Um, those are great. I know I'm a fan of those. I think we're all fans of those. Those are great. If you've never used them before, I'll say you can get them on Amazon fairly inexpensively. I'm a huge fan of them. Write stuff down, toss on the table. As a, as a GMing tool, especially for confidence or keeping track of things, I like them a lot, especially if you're doing things. I know Felix use them a lot in games for things like things that are going on at the table. I know in, in Cortex, we just had them for, um, we had what it was a, a fire alarm was going off and that had a dice oh, on for it. Asset. Well, they're for yeah, distinctions assets. and assets yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I also like them for just when the players are talking to people and they hear about, you know, the, the, the lost temple of Everson. I'll just write Lost Temple of Everson toss on the table in front of them and keep the conversation going so they've got it in front of them so they remember where yeah. it is, somebody's name. You know, they just met, you know, Lord Vecchion. We toss it on the table in front of them. So they've got that. Then they can take it as notes later on. But as a GM, if you keep tossing those out there, it puts a visual reminder on the table for players. Yep. And I leave a stack for the players because sometimes they'll write stuff down and leave it on the table in front of them too. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It, it just, I think that those are a really good tool. And I think, uh, are there any other uses for them, uh, Professor Fox, that we didn't mention? See if they come up with anything else. Yeah, I know they um, that that throwing that stuff on the table. Um, if it's visible to the players, it's mm-hmm. prominent in their mind. So it, you may have mentioned it, and and somebody forgot to write it down, and you know, and they're like, "Oh, what was that guy's name?" Oh, there it is. It's right there on the table. So, yep. yep. I I yep. I like it also for things like clues and stuff. Things that you want to make sure the players. Don't forget, yep. <laughs> you know, they've just got a major clue, write it down, toss it on the table. So they don't yeah. forget that this is what's coming up. Yeah. 
I would actually appreciate that as a, as a player. Sometimes GMs, we get a clue from somebody. And uh, I've been in games in the past where we all forgot the clue because we got the clue in hour one and now we're in hour three. And we all forgot that clue because we haven't dealt with it for two hours. So yep. anyway, I like those ideas. All right. Well, let's jump back into the second half and uh, and get ready for the round table here. Uh, you guys know how this goes. We do the round table. We ask three questions. And we uh, discuss them amongst ourselves. Question number one, Phil. Question number one, when you start a new game, what things are most important to you in terms of getting set up like to be able to run or play the game? For me, it's easily accessible notes. Either three by five cards or a digital document or dead tree paper. But I want it where I can easily reference it without digging for it. If these are notes that are important to the game, I want them in front of me. Things I can keep referring back to. This is especially true if there's a lot of characters involved, a lot of names. You know, they're going to be going to a party and there's 15 people they're going to talk that they might talk to. I want to have that all in front of me so I can use it immediately. I will often clip this to the back of a GM screen if I'm using it, or even set up a little, a little fake table tent and put them in front of me. So I can just glance down real quick effortless, effortlessly, whatever, seamlessly. <laughs> I said the words. Um, but do it to keep that confidence instead of looking up. Oh, and you also meet with uh, what's the guy's name, but just look down. You've got it in front of you. And uh, if they're on three by five cards, as they meet them, I can take them off the stack and lay them in front of me or lay them in front of the, uh, of the players, even as they meet them. So that they're there for visual reference. I like to have notes in front of me, names, places, people, events, what's coming up, have it right there. So I can easily access without flipping through it. It's going to be the top page of whatever I'm doing. Even when I'm running the adventure, Bob, yeah, as a player, I don't really need a ton of space, so I can get away with uh, with just a small chunk of the table. If we're going to be rolling some dice, I need uh, space for my little rectangular fold-up dice tray that snaps together on the corners. Pop that guy out, a uh, little bit of space next to that for a character sheet or um, some 3 by 5 cards to take some notes on or whatever, and, and you know something to write with. And usually that's about it. I don't need a ton of space as a player. Yeah. I'm like the opposite as a GM. Yep. I try really hard to keep my set kind of tight, like like the space on the table I'm playing at. But different games have different demands on things. Yep. So just like this week, as we were getting um, everything together for Cortex, one of the things I realized, I was like, well, I need a shit ton of dice. Like, you know, of, of the Cortex variety, four, six, eight, you know, tens and twelves. And I need like, eight or more of each of those. So I was like, okay, cool. I have, it's not like I don't have dice. Right. So I just like went to my bag. Oh, like I have my nice dice in like little boxes per set kind of thing. And then I have like bag O dice. So I just like dumped out bag O dice and like sorted it and then went, cause this shouldn't surprise any of you. I went to one of my cabinets where I have just empty plastic containers of all different varieties, like from craft stores and things like that. Um, and found a couple small profile flip top plastic boxes that have like, you know, I think they're used for beads, right. With the little um, sections yep. that you can take in and out. And uh, I just like, you know, put all the dice in there and I have like one that's like the dice, my go like the go-to dice. And then I have like a second one. That's like, these dice are like, in case we run out of the, the first set like if we need more eights i got more eights in this bottom one and then you know i just had to like do all the other stuff at the table like you know 
you know, I always, I always run my notes off my iPad. So I need my iPad and it's little stand so that I, you know, can put that on, you know, one side of the table. And then I, you know, was debating on whether I wanted um, a dice tray and I need a place for my index cards where I write my own notes for the session. I need the plastic, the dry erase index cards um, for, you know, doing um, complications, distinctions, assets, things like that. So for me, it just takes some time to, um, to figure that out. And like we said in the notes, sometimes I will change that up over time, but like, I usually try to get an initial layout and then I just see if I'm like reaching for stuff like, Oh, like, you know, like, Oh, I got everything, but I'm like, I I keep going to the side table for this other thing or have to keep pulling it out of the drawer. Maybe I should move that somewhere, that kind of thing. So that's, that's really what I, I, I focus on because I really want to, and it, it does for me, it definitely, for me, if, if all my stuff is in the right place and I'm not fumbling for it, I can sit back in my chair and just work on the story and the rules. And I'm not having to worry about like, okay, oh, do I not have enough eights? What, where, where can I get another eight? Like, you know, that kind of thing. So that, that's, that's me, right? Like that's for me, that's very much the, um, and I'm sure that's a lot my personality as well, but um, the mise en place is the most important thing for me. All right. Question number two. What are some things that no matter what game you're playing are always going to be part of your kit, whether you're a player or a GM? As I um, mentioned before, my all rolled up. That thing is uh, is in my bag wherever I go for whatever game I'm playing. And I sit down, I dig that out, and away I go. Uh, it's got my dice. It's got a pencil. It's got an eraser. It's got index cards. So regardless of what game I'm playing, I'm covered for all that stuff, um, and it doesn't take up a lot of space. For people who have never seen one, you want to describe what it is? So it's it's basically um, a, a, uh, a thing made out of fabric. It's got a pouch at one end, and then as you move your way across this, this piece of fabric, it's got a pouch that has a Velcro closure. Then it's got a, a pocket, a big pocket that's um, um, three three-plus inches to slide your uh, index cards into or other stuff that fit in there. It's got a couple of slots for pen, pencil-sized things. And then the whole thing kind of rolls up, and there's a, a tie-in closure with one of them sliding clips. You press the thing in and slide it down the, 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 the ties to make sure that the thing doesn't come undone. That's why they call it an all-rolled-up, because typically you kind of roll it up into a, into a bundle. Yeah, when it's when it's rolled up tight, it's about the size of a really big enchilada. It's about what'd you say? It's it's about about seven inches long and about about five wide and about three thick. So it's you know yeah, um, you depending can on how many dice you have in it and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I have I can in the pouch at the end. I can put two of the small dice bags that hold like thirty dice in there or about or a bag of dice and a bag of tokens or something like that i love you're the one who got me started on those things and i've got two of them now so uh they're really useful i have uh, i've been a fan of the all rolled up for a long time i have a Mm -hmm. um what i think is a generation one all rolled up um Mm -hmm. in gnome fabric i don't currently use it it's still in my gm caddy i have a i have something else that i'm using now for my main gm kit which is the um peak design tech pouch but it's a beast right like let me be yeah. clear the peak design yeah. tech pouch is enormous and i have the room for it in my current carry but it's a beast the all rolled yeah. up is really slick you can get a lot of stuff in there at a pretty small profile 
They make all rolled up makes a dice tray that is made of basically it's almost made of like mouse material that has little snaps on the corner that folds up into the all rolled up. The one that I use for my for my regular RPGs, I can put two sets of dice, a deck of cards, three by five cards, dry erase markers, pens, pencils, and a, a dice tray all in the whole thing for something that's going to be about yay big. Yeah. So, like I said, you guys introduced me to it. And I love it. Yeah. So. So that's our ad for all rolled up, Phil. Yes. You answer the question. <laughs> it's okay. I'm happy. I'm happy to do the ad for all rolled up. I love them. Yeah. Like if you yeah. don't have one, you should get one. They're fantastic, and they're yep. handmade. They're yes. like handmade by this like lovely couple in England. Like, absolutely. Okay. Anyway, and they and real quick, and they've licensed a ton of material. You can get. But Bob's got what a Spider-Man one. It's actually a um, bunch of different Marvel characters. I've got one that's all the old 1970s. Uh, Star Wars comics. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah. So, all right, all right Phil. Excellent. Um, for me, my go-tos. Um, so the things that kind of always live in my GMing kit. Um, the first one, which is a favorite of mine, and they're not easy to get anymore, is um, short order hero cards. They're a deck of cards that have personality um, adjectives Great. on them with like cute little drawings that go with them. Um, and you just grab a couple when you need to um, figure out the personality of an NPC. I love it. Sometimes you get some really weird combos. Like sometimes I just like sometimes they burn through a few cards because I'm like, that combo is just weird. That's not going to work. And sometimes you just get you get a combo and you're like, oh, I love it. It's great. That's who this character is now. So I always have those. I am always in need of names. So um, I have the story name, the story games name book. That's a great asset. Or I will have on my phone open like a tab for behind the name if we're playing a game in modern times where I need uh, names with particular countries of origin or something like Rinkworks, which was like my go-to fantasy, sci-fi, like anything non-modern name generator, like Rinkworks a bunch. And um, those are kind of, those are like staples. Like I always have to have something for names. I always like my short order here. And that's, again, for making up NPCs on the fly. Um, it's a place where I get the most dead air, right? Like if somebody's like, what's what's the name of that character? Uh, like that's, I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at naming things. So I uh, I always strive to have that be something that I can go right to. And then again, the short order heroes, just to make sure that I'm varying up my NPC traits, that I'm not in my comfort zone making like really... Um, cookie cutter NPCs. Mm, yeah. What about you, Jer? For me, I like to, I love my dry erase three by five cards. I always make sure I've got them for notes, include things on the table. I, I make sure I've got. Uh, I bought when I finally realized I needed some. Um, I bought a set of. I think Amazon had a set of two hundred and fifty for twenty five dollars. So I bought a stack of them, and I've given them out to other GMs. I love them. Use them when they get bad. You just toss them aside. Get some new ones. They're they're really useful. And I have them in my all rolled up as a GM kit. So it's, uh, I just, I love those three by five dry erase cards. Um, no matter what game I'm going to have, I'm going to have a bunch of them available. So, yep. All right. Question three. It's wish list time. What kind of things do you want that exist or do not that you would like for your setup? All right. So I'm going to put this out here because maybe it exists and I just don't know it, right? This is how my, like, so I'm just going to throw this out here. 
Um, if somebody is listening and is like, oh, I have this, let me tell you what it is. Please tweet me, email me or whatever. I would love a seriously good name generator for my phone. I have an iOS phone, but I would like a seriously good name generator. And what I mean by seriously good, I mean, it does fantasy sci-fi and it does um, modern names with multiple countries of origin, right? I play games across the board. I need, I need a name generator that can pull me out a name in one game. I need a French nobleman. And in another game, I need, you know, I need the Voltarian, you know, press secretary's name. And I need one app that just does that for me. And I need it on my phone because I got enough other stuff going on that if my phone had the name generator, that would be pretty sweet. I could just hit my phone, bam, name, write it down and like, let's go. I have found iOS name generators, but they're all just hit and miss. Like one's like a fantasy thing. I found one that might be good, but it was like a subscription service. And I'm like, no, like, yeah. no, 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 no. I will pay for the app. Don't get me wrong. I will absolutely pay money for an app. I'm just not paying for like a yearly subscription service. Yeah. That's anyway, a odd for- <laughs> that would be for me, that would be a killer because then I could not worry about putting a hard copy name book on the table it would be on my phone, which is like one of the devices that's not currently in use when I'm running a game. So I could have it like independent of my my game notes or when we play Knights Black Agents, my uh, laptop, which is powering Google Earth on our TV screen so people can see where we are. Like just iOS phone app name generator with all those features. And if somebody wants to write one, yeah, we will pimp the hell out of it on the show. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, first of all, I will pay money, and then I will also endlessly promote you. Like, yep. endlessly promote you. Okay, Jared, what about you? I would really like to see more games that have instant NPC or adversary cards with stats. Genesis and Savage Worlds both have a bunch of useful ones with stats and often art on one side, and then just better descriptions of abilities and notes on the reverse. Um, which I love when you need a quick group of thugs or the party wants to hire a slicer. Uh, I use them when I'm prepping the game so I can have the stats ready for generic NPCs that I know they will encounter. Um, I have them available for what I just, you know, the, the players fully decide that they want to hire an additional engineer and I want to have an engineer available. And I did not know that that's something they wanted to have. I just shuffle the guards. Here's an engineer. Bam. There you go. Ready to go. Here they are. Here's their stats. Here's their notes. There's a third party company that makes something for Savage Worlds called Cast of Characters. And they're on drive through cards and they're themed. I think you get 25 in a set and they're themed. So they're going to have like Viking Village or, you know, Space Pirates or a Court of the Fairy Queen or something like that. And there's just going to be all sorts of stuff for that. I like them because I can just have them available. I can shuffle through them before the game and get them ready. If my players really go off plot and decide that they're in town instead of going to talk to the Baron, they want to find out why the water is green instead of blue, and they're going to run over there and talk to somebody at the plant. I can have all that stuff available for them. I just love cards of all sorts. I love picture cards. I love note cards. I love the cards. I know Bob's got a couple of these that are just random encounter cards. I like all of those things, and I like them as an RPG tool. Uh, two things. If you're going to make a card PDF, take the drive through cards and make it available as a card deck. <laughs> I've bought a couple of PDFs of like really interesting, like weird fantasy cards and found out that it's a PDF that I have to 
print out, cut out, and make myself. I don't know how much it costs to have drive through cards, make them available. You're already on drive through RPG. Make them available as a card set I can buy. Number two, RPG publishers. If you're making a set of cards for an actual RPG game, make them card-sized. I love For the Queen, and that card set is perfectly shaped for that game because it's a card game. But there are companies out there that make RPG uh, accessory cards and make them in those long, tall shapes or square and so they don't fit in any tarot. other stuff we That's have. That's the tarot format. Uh, tarot format, um, sometimes a different shape even than that. I've seen some that are round, like oval. These are RPG tools for the table. As gamers, we have, the, there, are card, there are companies out there I would love to buy their cards. I'm not going to buy them because they're not going to fit in the card boxes I have and the card suits that I have and so on. But I'd love to see more of that stuff. I love the fact that when something comes up in the game and I can just grab a set of cards, shuffle once and toss it on the table, that it, it's available and um, put stats on them. If you're going to make them for a game system, put stats on them. Even if I don't use them for that game, it's nice to have a set yeah. of generic stats in the back that I can use to figure out whatever game I'm using. I can use my, uh, my Genesis monster cards in you know, Dungeon World if I want, if I've got an idea of the approximate strength value of the creature on the back, that sort of thing. So anyway, I that, love those things. I love RPG cards. That's the, that's the hard part is the stats, Jerry. That's because everybody... Making cards, if you're an RPG company, is a whole nother ask. And to be like, here's a bunch of cards with like stats for our game. There's yep. way more utility and way more chance somebody's going to buy it if it's got generic-y kind of almost stats that you could that's easily fine. apply to a bunch of different games. If you're that's cool with that, too. then yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. That's that's yeah. it. You know, give me a set of skills on them. I don't care. Just something so I, I don't have to stop and think about it. I mean, I can yeah. make up NPCs on the fly all the time. But if I've got something, if it just says, you know, um, strong wisdom, weak body, you know, super agile, uh, medium level magic, fire magic, that's all I need. I can, I can wing it from there. There you go. So that gives yeah. you, but, but just give us that stuff ahead of time. Um, and I love yeah. the fact that a lot of them have notes on the back, a little blurb about this character. Even if you're not going to use that, it's a nice instant. It, it's a multi-tool card. I love yep. those kinds of things. Anything um, that increases the utility of a, of a tool like that is awesome. I'll be I honest, playing in person, I'm a bit of a prop whore. I love anything that I can <laughs> get my hands on and put on the table. I love you make props for a game, and if I can use it, I will use it. Just don't make yep. the cards weird-shaped. That, that yeah. uh, frustrates the heck out of me. So For me, I'm, anyway. I'm definitely into cards like Jerry is. I, I love the, the, the tactile thing of, like, I need, you know, I need something for this. I grab a deck, and I flip through and just grab a card and like, here's some stuff that's interesting and you can use it as an inspirational tool to, to riff off of or whatever. I love those things. So yeah, more cards all the time. The other thing that I would like to see Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, uh, go ahead. going down the, the app train, like Phil did, um, I would like to see more apps for making visuals of characters. Okay. Like I know we got a couple of websites like hero lab and stuff. Um, there is a, uh, an app that came out that was from a Kickstarter. It's called Portrait Workshop. It's super nice, super cool. I jumped on that, um, and they've been slowly churning out the the content. There's a lot of content because you got to do a lot of artwork for a lot of different species and a lot of different uh, 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 accessories and styles and you name it. Um, but they've got a ton of work put into it, and it's really cool. And like. Stuff like that. Um, this thing is, it's a fantasy one. 
um, predominantly. So, um, so that's where you're going <laughs> to, where, where you're going to, and that's the wheelhouse it's in. But like anything that where you can like, I, you know, like want to make up, you know, some kind of, or maybe just randomly generate one for how like this particular NPC is going to look. And it's like, oh, that looks cool. Boom. Away you go. Um, having something like that is, is really cool. I would like more, more tools like that. That's my wish list. Uh, you know what? My, I mean, now if we're just, if we're really now, we're going to, I'm going to drift off set up a little bit for ultimate wish list. Uh-huh. My ultimate wish list would be for some video game company to take their character gen. Like when you make your character for a video uh-huh. game, like, you know, the 3D model and just break it off of their game and offer it up as yeah. software. Like, like imagine, like, like how cool would it be if like, like, for instance, I, I guess cyberpunk, right? Like, I know there's some issues with the company or whatever, so I know it's it's not a great issue, but I don't actually know a ton of video games off the top of my head. Just go with me. So imagine, like, taking, like, the character modeling thing for, like, I don't know, maybe Mass Effect, like you're doing your mm-hmm. um, sci-fi game or whatever, and being able to, like, just grab it, not having to use the game, make all the tweaks you want to the character, and then, like, print it out. Yeah. Right? Like, this is my character. Yeah. Like how cool would that be? And hook that up to a module that creates an STL file for 3D printing. Sure. For the ultimate wish list. Then you create your character in the software and you go put this into an STL, send it to the 3D printer. Here's my mini for the game too. And it looks that's just like talking, the character. That's what I'm talking yeah. about, right? Like that's boom. Yeah. Good stuff. There's got to be All a market right. for that. Right? Oh, yeah. with Seriously, there would be a, would there would be a market in a second if a video oh, yeah. game company was just like, I'm going to like, I'm just breaking off my modeling thing. And you know what? As a subscription or DLC or whatever, you can just buy like modern clothes. Yeah. Fantasy outfits. Yeah. Like spin it off into its own separate company if you have to and hire programmers to create all the different genres and, and yep. styles. I, and I mean, to be honest, you don't even have to go that far. Open up the um, oh, open, open it up for mod packs. Yep. Yeah, open it up from sell the app. Open up for mods. Make a marketplace. Shit. Bing bang boom. Like, done. Yeah, dude, I would pay premium money to yep. have something that if I could make NPCs like pictures of NPCs every game, I hundred percent would pay for pay for and probably subscription. Like that would be money paying itself if I could have yep. something that worked like that. Yep. Yeah. All right. Somebody get on it. <laughs> somebody get on it. I don't program. Like, yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Yep. All right. Good round table. Woo. Good stuff. Close this out, right? This yep. is our look at setting up your new game. You know, the next time you run something new, that this advice is going to help you get everything ready for the table and maybe give you some more confidence when you're running. There you go. We're going to check in with the chat room one more time and then head on over to the conversation corner. So, yeah, chat room. Unfortunately, it sounds like uh, Senda had uh, ordered a copy of Short Order Heroes at some point, but now can't remember if it uh, if it ever shipped, which is unfortunate. I did a quick Google search for it, and there's a supplement for it on drive-thru cards, which is like, uh, like 15 cards for sci-fi. And I'm like, hmm, weak. Like, where's the whole... Supposedly, you can order them from the creators on their website. Um, I didn't. I didn't go down that rabbit hole because we were back in the uh, in the topic, and I didn't want to 
I pull myself I tossed way both, too deep. I tossed a link for that and all rolled up into the chat room. So yeah. they're in there. Uh, that's where yeah. I ordered mine from and they came. So cool. Mm-hmm. There you go. But yeah, it um it, it got really hard to get for a while. So plus, you know, I mean anything right now that's that's gonna ship to you from somewhere, <laughs> you could have yeah. all kinds of weights for things like that. So who knows? But yeah. All right. That should pretty much do it for the conversation or for the uh chat room for this particular stretch. So let's jump into the uh conversation corner. <laughs> So uh, one of the things that I did, I technically I didn't do it this past week since the last show. I did it the week before, but I recently put together one of the smaller Lego sets for Star Wars, which is the ATST Walker from Hoth. And basically, it's it's the two-legged Walker. It comes with three minifigs. It's got uh, the 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 Rebel or the Imperial Trooper that's inside the Walker. It's got a Snow Trooper from the Rebels. And it's got a Chewbacca with a bowcaster. And it's also got a little miniature version of uh, a probe droid, which is appropriately sized for the walker and the and the minifigs. The probe droid is cute as hell. <laughs> and it was a fun build because just like almost anything from Lego is fun to build. Because as you're putting the pieces together, you're like this conglomeration of bits and parts and stuff. And as you're going, you can slowly see it, see it start to take shape of like, oh, this is the, you know, this is like the head of the thing and this is the leg and this is the whatever. Like, it's fun watching that evolve on the table in front of you as you're putting the pieces together. But this one in particular, it's, it's a really cool build. Didn't take a lot of time. It's less than 300 pieces, but it was really cool and it was really fun to build. So I really had a good time uh, putting that together. And then I realized that I have not the minifig scale ATAT, but I have the the smaller version of the ATAT that's like I I don't I forget how many pieces it is, but um, it's a big set. And at some point soon, I got to put that together because I'd imagine that's going to be uh, amusing to build as well. But yeah, Lego uh, brick therapy never hurts, so that was one of the things that I did. Of course, um, keeping up with uh, the Book of Boba Fett, which now, as of the recording of this episode of uh, the podcast, Book of Boba Fett's got two episodes left, and then it's done. That it for season two, one because huh? rumor a has whole it. Lot of, it's a whole lot of story in two episodes coming up. Yeah, you would think it's like wait, they've got a lot of stuff that they've got to figure out and wrap up here or whatever. But some of it might roll over into season two. Who knows? I don't know. But two episodes left. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy is rolling along, and I'm I'm really enjoying it, and gearing up for uh, what comes after, because there's a whole bunch of Star Trek shows coming down the pipe, and they announced that Strange New Worlds is dropping on May 5th, so that's just going to be a hoot. Uh, I caught up on Magnum PI the current season. I, I'm I'm up to the episode that dropped this past weekend. I need to watch before this weekend, um, but I watched like three of them to get ca- caught up because I was behind a little bit. And again, they they punched me in the feels with some stuff. Um, playing a bunch of No Man's Sky, obviously. Jerry and Chris and I jumped out of No Man's Sky briefly and and did a uh, an evening of uh, Valheim, which has a really cool character generator program that would be uh, nice to strip out and create a an rpg character creator for for the folks um and then of course we had our uh, our uh, cortex prime game launch this weekend aux 
which uh, was super successful and honestly, I think uh, has contributed to the uh, mental health and uh, all three of us feeling as good as we do because that game was a lot of fun and there was some concern going in uh, about whether or not, uh, you know, that, you know, was going to work. Like, this is all brand new to us. We don't know what we're doing, but we're throwing shit together. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. And it went great. We had a ball with it. So, so that's, uh, that's, that's what I've been up to. Jerry, what about you? Uh, for me, the one thing is Ox. Um, I love Cortex. I've played it before, and Phil took it in a way, in a, in a direction that I have never played it before. I love this campaign. This is basically Thunderbirds meets Scorpions meets the core. Um, Wait, Scorpion. Is, Scorpions is the Scorp- band. Scorp- <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with both ways. Okay. Laos uh, Mina is going to like you know he's gonna yes yes. Yeah. Yes, Michael Shanker's going to play, yeah. Um, Rock this you like is, a fire cane. Like that's, that's right. The- that's right. Uh, City's on a flame with rock and roll. Um, we, uh, yeah, this is, this is uh, we're playing alien super geniuses who have been recruited by a sentient starship to travel to planets and rescue people and stop major disasters and other problems through the use of science negotiation and just being awesome geniuses. Bob is a monkey who can use all four arms and his uh, tail at once and is our pilot slash super engineer who can make just about anything. Um, Chris is a human who is a master hacker and physicist. And uh, my character is a seven foot blue Yeti who is a uh, anthropological biologist. So we are running around trying to and and in true form we in, in true disaster form we stopped the first problem and then we got into dealing with a fire cane which is just what you think it is it's a, it's basically a giant hurricane made of fire and uh chris and i both managed to make the problem worse and it hasn't gotten better yet so we we we're we're at that point in the disaster where you try a bunch of stuff and it all fails horribly and now we've got to come up with a new genius way to fix it it's a lot of fun the Cortex system works really well. You're always rolling at least three dice. And so you're going to do, in, in our case, you're using your, basically your genius skill die, your application die, and your skill die, and you roll them together. You pick two to be your result, and the third die is your effect. So you're not rolling again to see what your effect is. So sometimes you can simply do things by rolling and succeeding. Sometimes you're reducing uh, a shot clock and that kind of thing. So it's just a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it again. So uh, we're just we're, we're looking forward to having a great time with it. Um, everything else, um, I've been watching Peacemaker. We're up to episode five, and uh, apparently episode eight is going to be ridiculous. When he made it, uh, James Gunn would not let them preview episode eight to anybody but the people that were actually producing it uh, because you don't want any parts of it leaking. It's a lot of fun. The music is amazing. If you like. 70s and 80s rock it is just full of james gunn style songs um i loved it uh book of boba fett was excellent i don't want to spoil it for anybody just say it's a really good episode prodigy has come along um i was not a huge fan of of prodigy initially and i still don't like the main character but everybody else is amazing and this episode was really well done they're finally coming together as a crew and it's really neat been playing no man's sky I've been having some interesting issues with it that uh, 
Uh, for some reason, the game does not like me. And so places where Bob and Phil were like, hey, you solved this mystery. Here's, you know, 900 units. I was getting like 39. But that is finally catching up. So I'm having a lot of fun finally catching up doing neat things. Valheim last week with Bob and Chris was fun. It's just neat to get back to a different building and adventure game. And uh, we've had a lot of fun. We're, we're at another level in the game where it's neat. So it's, it's something. And by the way, Bob, I think I'd like to try to do that again this Thursday if we can. And uh, lastly, I did my Lego therapy. Uh, this week, I built the Lego houseboat from the Friends line, which was super packed full of details. Everything from living space to source material uh, to uh, what do they call it? Sustainable material. Uh, Lego has a big theme this year that a lot of their city and friend sets are going to be based around uh, diversity and um, sustainability. So lots of solar stuff, lots of gardens and things. They're doing a lot of uh, figures and characters that have um, various skin tones. So it's not just white and black. It's got everything in between. It's got a lot of the colors. So kids can play with it and get more more uh, toys that look like them. But just the details have been a lot of fun. I, I really like the direction Legos take with all of their stuff this year. Um, but that was a lot of fun. And uh, that's the deck of the ship if you're watching it online. So that's it for me. Phil? Cool. Uh, I also was going to talk about Ox, but I'll save mine for the after show. I'll do my one thing as No Man's Sky. I've been playing a lot of it. I've been uh, playing a little. Um, I've been playing basically every day. I don't think I'm logging in as much time as Bob is, but <laughs> I am. Uh, but I am definitely playing like the end of every day for an hour, two hours every night. Totally loving it. It is in every way all the things I love about Minecraft also show up in this game the exploration resource gathering base building upgrades all of that stuff i have myself uh i i my base is my my main base on the planet i nicknamed gammaville is um i re i renovated the whole thing over the weekend i was like this base design is bad and i've been just kind of randomly building stuff and shoving it off to the sides of the base and so i redid everything to make myself like a nice vehicle area and moved my landing pad for my ship someplace thoughtful. Um, I just tonight just put in more rooms for our uh, room for more storage vaults because I was starting to fill up with storage vaults. And I went and actually, I went and actually bought myself the plans for making a couch, a chair and a video screen. So I could make myself yep. a little lounge, but man, I got to go find space silk, which is not available in my uh, solar system. So I'm going to have to go out and about. I hear you have to go to rich systems to be able to find it on the, on the commodities market. So can't just make it. No, it's oh. a trade item. So it's not a okay. thing you can make. It's a thing that you have to acquire at a station or um, in some sort of looting kind of way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the problem is it only shows up in systems that have tags for it that have affluence. Yeah. So, and I am definitely not in one of those um, solar systems. So I got to go out and about. I've got the um, economy scanner on my ship. So I can usually tell before I warp into a place if it's going to be worth my time. And then I did a bunch of reading on No Man's Sky about different ships, like categories of ships. I now understand which ship I have, like which type, and now which ones I want. So I'm going to go out and pick a few ships. And I watched a couple of videos on Animal Companions uh, this week. So I think I now have a good understanding of how animal companions work. So I may at some point pick myself up a friend to travel around with 
It's some interesting stuff. I'll have to, we'll have to share some time talking about that because I somehow acquired an egg at some point. Yes. And oh, it, yeah. it hatched into this um, basically little robot horse thing that pranced around like a, like a child. And then I haven't seen it in forever. And I tried to call it on another planet and I can't. So I think I have to did call you put it, it into your, did you put it into your um, registry? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk to you about it. There's, there's yeah. this YouTuber I watch who makes this, these great 10 minutes videos that goes over like different sections of the game. And so I watched a couple things on, um, on animal companions this week and genetic modification and engineering. So you can actually take those eggs to the anomaly and genetically modify them to make the offspring different. So anyway, I, but the game is so big that like, I haven't even scratched the surface that I, I haven't done a, um, I haven't done an abandoned freighter mission yet. I like, I, there's so many things in this game and I love it because I'm happily doing the stuff I'm doing. And then if there's still like a laundry list of things for me to go out, um, to go out and do. So I'm like, I'm actually pretty psyched right now. My current thing is getting drop pods. I have a yep. pretty reliable way now to get drop pods. My roamer can find them. So I can actually just tell it, find me a drop pod on a planet. It'll locate it and I can go right to it. Now what, now what is a, what is a roamer? The uh, exo vehicle, the four wheeler. Okay. So if you do the storyline where you go get the um, exo vehicle engineer and you do like all his missions, he gives you this mod for, the roamer that when you can put it in whatever uh, vehicle you want, but he gives you this mod, the um, tau sensor or something that you can click it and tell it what type of building you're looking for. And it just tells you where the building is. I've I also heard that, that so when you well. do that, <laughs> when you do that on the minotaur, you can find crash ships. Ooh. So anyway, anyway, no man's sky is giving me a ton of life. Um, yeah. And I'm at this point show no signs of stopping playing it. So fantastic. Loving it. Uh, other things I did, um, Ox, I'll talk about in the after show. I have my own feelings about that, so that's good. Played some more Thirsty Sword Lesbians with my ongoing campaign with Senda. That game is actually going to, con- I'm not going to talk about it here, but that game's going to actually convert to Cortex Prime as well. That's a longer discussion, um, one that we had in the Bamboo Lounge um, earlier this week. Did a bunch of good cooking, made some delicious food this past week, and uh, got to hang out with you guys. So, yeah. Um, and and some decent um, playoff football, like some you know some. This has been a good games. postseason of football. Yep. Cool. All right, that's me. All right. Well, that brings us to the Patreon shoutouts. As we slowly roll this thing out the door, thank you so much to our patrons: Jason Pitt, Gene Lorber, Jeff Stevens, Joe Rasso, John, M T Black, Mike Olson, Padme's Lover, Robert Dorgan and Ryan Bolter. And thank you to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. The Queen's Time, come join us live on Twitch, where you can chat with the other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. If you can't make a live show, check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts, and take a listen to some of the other shows in the Mystery Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bonestone Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Pandas Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Jean Coup Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and back episodes of the excellent She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming MBS.
before you start your session and after you've set everything up, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly on the old-fashioned email at mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on the Twitters. The show and the network is at misdirectedmark. He's Robert M. Everson. He's GM Gerrymander. I'm DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. Misdirected Mark, Podcast, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are all at patreon.com slash mmp. Django Hustle is at patreon.com slash Django Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. I feel a pattern there. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop! We out!